Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. You know, when I was a kid, this is years and years and years ago, I remember this um, one time where I had a hankering for fresh baked cookies. You're like, a hankering? Yeah, like women have cravings, but men, we have hankerings, right? I don't know how old I was. I was probably 12, 13, 14, something like this. So what I did is I went and found one of my mom's cookbooks, or maybe I found, I don't quite remember exactly, but maybe I found like, you know, that little plastic box that has all the index cards in it with all the family recipes. Anyway, I found a recipe, and then I started gathering the ingredients together, getting everything together, you know, eggs, check, flour, check, sugar, check, chocolate chips, check, vanilla, check, salt, check, baking soda, check. So I get everything, I start, you know, looking at everything, measuring it out, mixing it together, preheated the oven, greased the baking sheet, and then I started, you know, throwing out dollops of of cookie dough on this thing. Man, I'm getting excited about fresh baked cookies. I pop the cookies in the oven, set the timer, walk away, ding, timer goes off. I'm excited, ready for my fresh baked cookies, open the oven, pull out the baking sheet, set it on the stove top, and just as I'm getting ready with the spatula to start scooping the cookies off, I notice something isn't quite right. These cookies don't look exactly the way they look like when mama makes them. They were flat. Flat as a pancake. Actually, they were flatter than pancakes. I was like, well, this is weird. This is odd. But at least they're going to taste good. Because, I mean, I know everything that I put in there, it's going to taste fantastic. So as the cookies are still cooling a little bit, I go over to the the refrigerator, open up, grab some milk, pour myself a glass of milk because it's a perfect combination. You know, you got to have, you know, fresh baked cookies with, with a glass of cold milk. And so now is the time for the moment of glory, and I go to bite into the cookie, and you're just like, mmm, except it wasn't like, mmm, it was more like, mmm. <laughs> it was a little bitter. And I was like, what is going on here? What is the deal? Like, I know I followed the directions to the T. Well, I don't understand what the problem is. Did I, did I leave out like that little pinch of love or something that mom puts in? I don't know what the deal was. So I was determined to find out. So I went back, started tracing my steps, started going through the ingredients list. Eggs, check. Flour, check. Chocolate chips, check. Sugar, check. Vanilla, check. All these things. Baking soda. Yeah, I got the baking powder. And to that day, I learned that you can't just substitute baking powder for baking soda, or at least not evenly, unless, however, you want flat, slightly bitter chocolate chip cookies. Then you can substitute baking powder for baking soda, no problem. How many of you guys know that whatever it is that you put into the beginning of something, it matters because it's gonna affect the end result, right? It's going to affect the end result. In the same way, God has a recipe for our lives. He has a recipe 
to grow our roots deep in him so that we can bear much fruit that lasts. So we don't get the fruit without the roots, right? That's what we've been saying over the last several weeks. You know, your root system is the part of your life, it's this inner part of your relationship with God that's hidden that, that many people don't see. And it's marked, again, by intimacy with God. It's marked by dependency upon God, faith in God, and also rest in God. And where do you find these things? Well, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the importance of being rooted in the Word of God, and that's one of the place, places we find these things, and it's vital, and we've got to have our foundation in the God's Word in order to grow deep roots in the Lord. But another one of these places where we find intimacy especially is in the secret place, in the place of prayer. You know, throughout this series, we've been glancing at the life of David. And for David, he's out tending to his family's flocks out in the field. That's where he developed intimacy with the Lord. That's where, that, that's, that was his secret place where God used that time of intimacy to deepen his roots in the Lord so that he would bear much fruit that lasted. In, in 1 Samuel 16, David's a boy. Samuel shows up to his dad's house, the house of Jesse, and he's there to anoint the next king of Israel. Of course, he, he looks at all of Jesse's sons. He says, no, it's none of these guys. Is, you got any more kids around here? And of course, Jesse says, yeah, I've got the runt of the litter. He's out there tending the flocks and the fields. But what they didn't know is that he wasn't just tending the flocks and the fields. He was out there developing intimacy with the Lord. And Samuel said, yeah, that's the one. Bring him. And when David shows up on the scene, Samuel anoints David to be the next king of Israel. And then you know where David went after that? He didn't go straight to the palace after that. This is before David had even defeated Goliath. This is before David had, had even uh, scored a, a sweet job in the palace uh, as, as a minstrel. Now David returned back to the field. He returned back to the secret place, the place of intimacy, the place of prayer. That's, he, that's where he returned. This is what David wrote in Psalm 91. We just prayed this. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide, shall live, shall make his home under the shadow of the Almighty. So David, he comes and he's anointed by God to be the next king of Israel, and then he just goes back to doing what he was doing before, tending the flocks in the fields, spending time alone with God in the place of intimacy. I don't think in any way, shape, or form that David was flippant about his call about just being anointed to be king of Israel. I don't think he was like, oh, well, that was cool. I think that was a serious thing for him, but David's motivation wasn't his calling. It wasn't his anointing. It wasn't the thing that God was telling him to do. His deepest motivation was his relationship with the Lord. It was intimacy with God. That was the thing that was driving David, not that he had been anointed to be the next king. He didn't start substituting baking powder for baking soda, you know? He was like, no, 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 no. Intimacy comes first, then calling. Intimacy first, then anointing. 
Listen, I can tell you, I've been there, I've done that, I've got the t-shirt to prove it. I've been in times of my life where I have been spending time with intimacy with God, extended periods of time, concentrated times, and in that moment, you're developing intimacy with God. And one of the things that happens oftentimes is that God does anoint you. He does call you to do something. And then you get excited and you're like, yeah, I've got a mandate from God. I've got a calling. I'm going to go do something. And then what happens, though, is you start putting your calling in front of the priority of intimacy. You start doing that. And when you do that, you step out of his strength and you step out of his rest and you step into striving. You step into your own power instead of the power of God. And if you do that long enough, you will run out of gas. You'll be stranded on the side of the road going, God, help me. And you know how you fill your tank up again? Intimacy. But why run out of gas if you don't have to? Why get stranded on the side of the road if you don't have to? Stay in the place of intimacy. Keep intimacy the priority and then the calling and all that stuff and the empowerment for what God's called you to do comes out of the overflow of the place of intimacy. Building a secret place lifestyle. It's not just like, well, you know, I got to check this off my box. This is a lifestyle. Building this is critical because it's in the place of intimacy that God really establishes your roots. It's where you cultivate your root system in order for you to grow and bear the fruit that lasts that God wants you to bear. And as we intentionally draw near to God in prayer, two vital things develop in our root system. The first thing that develops is our love and our heart for God and our, just our passion and our honor for him. And we begin to get a, a, a greater scope of who he is. And we, the greater the scope we have of God, the more our heart expands with love and honor for God. And that's the first thing that develops in the place of intimacy. But then this other thing does happen where God begins to start revealing his story to you and how the, the, the part that you are going to play in the story in this generation you know, he, he, he's, he gives you vision, he gives you calling, he, he anoints you to do something and gives you power. And that is an important thing that develops as well. But the first thing that develops is this heart and this love and this honor for God. In Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's the, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying a lot of incredibly thing, incredible things here, the most important things that can be said here. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said, when you pray... Go into your room, and when you have shut the door, when you've gotten alone, when you're in a private place, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Jesus is saying it's important for you to develop a relationship with God that's just between you and him. There's much about our Christian life and this Christian experience and this journey that we're on. Is a, it's about community, and it's incredibly important that we stay in community. But there's also a, a part of your relationship with God that is developed in the secret place that nobody knows about, or very few people know about. L at least there's no way that they can know firsthand. The only way that they would know is, is if you were to start sharing with them. But, you know, it's like, 
Tim has got this secret place relationship with God. And even, even though Tim and I are friends, there's things that, conversations and, and ministry that happens just between him and the Lord that I don't ever know about, even though we're friends. And maybe he starts sharing those things with me from time to time, and I've gained the knowledge of that, but it's only secondhand knowledge because the secret place is the thing, it's just between you and God. Now again, I'm not saying the secret place is the only thing that we need. I'm not saying that we only have that and we don't have community, but we've got to have this also. The first reason to even develop a secret place lifestyle is because that's where God is waiting for you. That's where he is. He's waiting for you to show up. See, Jesus' goal wasn't just to come to earth, pick out 12 random guys, and just disseminate information to them. Here, here's some information, guys. That's not what Jesus did. It was, he, he called these men specifically to him to impart to them who he was. To reproduce himself in them. And it was out of this, and that's impossible to do without intimacy. It's impossible to reproduce yourself in someone. It's impossible to really show someone who you are and what you're all about without intimacy. And the cool thing is, is this, is that Jesus used intimacy as a strategy to propel the gospel throughout all the world. He said, hey, come be with me. Let me show you who I really am. Let me show you what I'm really all about. And then it was out of that intimacy that he built with these disciples is that they found calling and empowerment to then go and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. God desires to draw close to you. In the book of James, it says, when we draw close to him, he will draw close to us. God's just waiting. He's just waiting on you. Come on close. I'm right here. I'm in the secret place. I'm waiting for you. This has got to be the first ingredient that we got to get right. One of, one of the most important ingredients we got to get right in developing our root system. If this intimate connection with Jesus is not developed, then your root system is not going to be healthy enough to really produce much fruit that lasts. You're never going to find satisfaction. You're never going to experience everything that God called you to be and everything that God called you to do outside of the presence of God. Jesus' own secret place lifestyle with the Father was an example to the disciples for them to build their own secret place lifestyle with the Father. Disciples were constantly waking up and going, where's Jesus? Where is he? Oh, he's been st he stayed up all night and he was praying. Or he got up really early and he got to a private place somewhere alone where he could just spend time with the Father. And as you spend time with the Lord in the secret place, the things that, that he cares about, the things that are important to him, his heart, but then also his ways of doing things, they begin to get grafted into you. You encounter God's thought, heart. You encounter his thoughts. 
which in turn begin to shape the way that you live and the way that you think and the way that you feel. And he arranges your priorities and the desire to make him known grows out of your intimacy with him. The desire to do something great for God grows out of the place of intimacy. And your primary motivations in life are not driven by going to God just so you can see what God, you can get from God. God, here I am, what do you have for me today? What, what are you gonna give to me today? How are you gonna bless me today? And it's not that God doesn't want to bless you. It's not that God doesn't have things for you, but that's your motivation to go to him is not just to see what you can get from him. It's just to be with him. Because you love him. Because you hold him at such a high place of honor. The real question is not whether or not you can be passionate about Jesus when you're in a great worship service with a bunch of other people who love Jesus too and the worship leader is on point and the band is playing your favorite worship songs. You know, that's great. That's not the question. The question is, are you passionate about Jesus when no one else is around? When it's just you and him? Where's your, where's your love and honor for him? For David, the secret place empowered him to lead. It was a place that he led from, but it was not just a place that he led from, it was a place that he lived from. Everything that, that happened, every good thing that happened in David's life was an overflow from the place of intimacy that he had built with God. And like I said earlier, when you stop living from the overflow of the place of intimacy with the Lord, the temptation to be motivated by other things besides you know, your love for Jesus, it begins to creep in. But encountering his love for you in the secret place actually is the thing that keeps your heart burning for him and for his presence. You know, throughout you know, the three years of existence of Seeds Church, we've made this statement from time to time. You've heard me say this. And we, we've said that we place a high value on the presence of God here at Seeds Church. We highly value the presence of God. Well, why is that? Because in the presence of God is where our intimacy and our love and our honor for Jesus increases. This is because in the presence of God, it's where we are changed into the image and the likeness of Christ. It's because in the presence of God is where we are mobilized to carry out his kingdom on the earth today. His presence is incredibly valuable. And we find the presence of God in the secret place. Yes, God visits us in the large group gathering in ways that maybe we don't experience even in the secret place. But if this is all that there is, then we're missing out on an important piece. We're missing out on an important element. It's important that we live passionately for God, that our Christian life is not just on cruise control, but instead it's alive and it's active. Too often, there are people that are so, so excited to do something, God, do something for God. They've got zeal, they've got passion, but then they have no strategy attached to the zeal. It's like a kid who, like, you just teach for the very first time to play like the game of Yahtzee, you know? You ever played Yahtzee? How many of you played Yahtzee before? Wow, a lot of y'all raise your hands for that more than you do for worship, but. <laughs> I'm kidding. I just Jesus-juked you. Anyway. 
Um, Yahtzee, if you've not played it or played it for a long time. Uh, it's this game where you've got five dice in a cup and you roll them, you get three tries and you start, you, you try to get a special combination of dice because certain combinations of die, they, um, they count for certain points. And the biggest point value that there is is called the Yasi, right? It's that special combination of die that you roll, but it's also the most unlikely combination to roll. It's the hardest one to get. And so, yes, there is a, a certain element of luck that's involved in the game, but there is a little bit of strategy involved as well, because although Yahtzee is the highest point value, it's the least likely to go. And so sometimes you may not want to go for the Yahtzee. You might want to go for a lesser combination because it's going to actually get you points on the board. But you teach a kid the game, and it comes their turn, and what do they want to do? I'm going for a Yahtzee this time. And you know what? They don't get it. And they try it turn after turn after turn, and you stop the game, and you explain to them, not just the rules, but you start explaining to them strategy, and then it comes time, their turn again, and they're like, I'm going for a Yahtzee again. You know, and they don't get it, and they're all disappointed. They've got a lot of passion and zeal for the game. They want to play, but they don't have any points on the board. There's no strategy attached to their excitement. And, and, and people that, that, that play Yahtzee like that, they don't typically win. In, in the same way, many of us, we get excited about the idea of being used by God to do something, to make a difference, to make a change on the, in the world. And we walk around and we're yelling, revival, revival, and that's good, that's great. That's wonderful, but we're not just gonna change things just by yelling Yahtzee. We're not just gonna change things just by yelling revival. We need actual strategy attached to the zeal, attached to the passion. And the most fundamental strategy that you can play is to plant your life in the secret place. It's to plant your life in this private place of prayer with God. If you want God to use your life, the most practical, strategic thing that you can do to grow your roots, it's found in the place of prayer. Allow the Lord to meet you in the secret place and develop your roots in hiding. Like I said, it's important to have a history with the Lord that is hidden. Not everybody knows about it. It's just about you and him. There, there are certain things that God wants to release to you that are only going to be found in the secret place this place of prayer. You can look in other places for them, but they're only gonna be found in the secret place. About 800 miles or so off the coast of Somalia, out in the Indian Ocean, there's this tiny little island called Silhouette Island. And on that island, there is a specific, specifically endangered species of bat. And you know what, you, you can be all like, well, I want to get all National Geographic, and we're going to go find one of these bats. And you can travel all over Africa. You can tra travel over India, through Asia, through Europe, through Australia, North America, South America. You can travel all over the world, and you're not going to find this specific species of endangered bat except for on Silhouette Island, way off the coast, out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And in the same way, there's a level of intimacy and power that can only be found in the secret place. 
You can go to all the conferences, you can go to all the conventions, but you're not gonna find it there. You can come to all the weekend services and you can you know, listen to all the podcasts and you can listen to all, stream all the, the, you know, the, the, the latest and greatest new worship albums and all those things are great, but that doesn't mean that you're gonna find the specific things that can only be found in the secret place, the place of intimacy between you and God. If you wanna experience these things, these special things that God has reserved, you're going to have to seek him in the secret place. In the book of 1 Kings, during the reign of Ahab and Jezebel, it's one of the most, the darkest, most violent, filled with idolatry, filled with sexual immorality, it's a very dark and oppressive time in the history of Israel. And Elijah, the prophet, on multiple occasions had confrontations with Ahab and Jezebel. But it came time for God to take Elijah to heaven. But before God took him to heaven in a chariot of fire, God promised Elijah a couple things. First, he promised that his mantle of prophet would be transferred from himself to his servant, Elisha. And then the second thing that he promised was that he was going to replace the royal bloodline on the throne of Israel. He was going to remove the Ahab and Jezebel bloodline and replace it with a man named Jehu. Jehu was now the new God-appointed king that was going to reestablish righteousness in Israel. So when the time came for Jehu to be anointed as king, Ahab had already died, and one of his sons was sitting on the throne. But really, Jezebel, she was still alive, and she was really still running the show from the city of Jezreel. And I want to read about this here in 2 Kings chapter 9. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel first show up in 1 Kings, but their story kind of continues through into 2 Kings. And in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Elisha, the prophet, so Elijah had already gone on to be with the Lord. The mantle had transferred from Elijah. The mantle of prophet had transferred to Elisha. And Elisha, the prophet, had summoned a member of the group of prophets. And so this was like, you know, uh, uh, some translations say this was the son of one of the other like junior level prophets under Elisha. And he, and he says, get ready to travel. Take this flask of olive oil with you. Go to Ramoth Gilead and find Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi. Call him into a private room. Call him into the secret place. Call him out away from everyone else, away from his friends, and pour this oil over his head and say to him, this is what the Lord says. I anoint you to be the king over Israel. Then open the door and run for your life. I don't know what that last part is about. <laughs> it's like, you're about to anoint the king of Israel, the new king. You better do it and get the heck out of there. Because I don't know, like I'm a prophet, but I don't know what's going to happen after that. <laughs> I don't know. What is that about? That's so cool. So verse 4, so the young prophet did as he was told. He went to Ramoth Gilead. 
When he arrived there, he found Jehu sitting around with the other army officers. He says, I have a message for you, commander. Jehu asked, which one of us? The young prophet said, for you, commander. So in verse six, it says, so Jehu left the others and went into the house. He got away from everyone else and went into the secret place. Then the young prophet poured the oil over Jehu's head and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Now, we're about to read exactly what Elisha told him to say, but he's gonna say some other things here too. And what I don't know is if Elisha has said these other things to him and it just wasn't recorded in the first part of this chapter, or maybe the Spirit of God came on this other young prophet and he began to say these other things, which is maybe why Elisha told him, uh, you, you say these things and then get out of there and run away. But this is what he said. I anoint you king over the Lord's people Israel. And then he goes on to say this. This is the, the extra stuff here. You are to destroy the family of Ahab, your master. In this way, I will avenge the murder of my prophets and all the Lord's servants who were killed by Jezebel. The entire family of Ahab must be wiped out. I will destroy every one of his male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I will destroy the family of Ahab as I destroyed the families of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and Bashah, son of Ahiha. That sounds like a made-up word, but it's right there. Dogs will eat Ahab's wife Jezebel at the plot of land in Jezreel, and no one will bury her. What happened then? Then the young prophet opened the door and ran. (laughs) He got that part right. So Jehu comes out of this private room. He comes out of the secret place encounter. He tells then his band of brothers what had happened, what the Lord had spoken over to him through this prophet. Then they they get in their chariots and they ride to Jezreel because they know that's where Jezebel is. That's that's where they know that Ahab's son still is. But not only was Ahab's son and Jezebel in Jezreel, There was also the visiting king of the northern kingdom of Judah. He was present, and he wasn't a good guy either. And so they're going to Jezreel, and Jezebel, uh, on the way there, they send out these, these, like, messengers. They're like, oh, my gosh, I think, what's this army of guys coming? who Who are these people? They look like they mean business. So they send out these messengers. They send a messenger out. The first messenger gets there and says, uh, do you guys come in peace? What's the deal? Y'all are, y'all are pursuing on our city, and y'all look like y'all mean business. What's the deal? And Jehu says, have you experienced peace? Are you liking the way things are the way they are right now? Get in line. And the messenger just falls in line with the rest of the company, and they start going for the city. It happens again. They're like, they look out, look, I don't know if they got a, 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 a telescope or something, they see what's going on, they're like, oh my gosh, that messenger guy, he's not coming back, they're not stopping, he just got in line. They send another messenger, same exact thing happens. The boy gets in line, they start coming. So Ahab's son, he's like, oh, I, I gotta see what's going on here. He, it's like this moment of like, oh, well, I can't send any more messengers, I gotta go out there myself. He goes out there, Jehu, says, no, we're, we're ending this thing. He shoots an arrow and kills him. 
Then they catch up with the other king of Judah who starts running away. They kill him. So now they're headed to the palace for Jezebel. And Jezebel is so snide. She's so smug. She sees them coming. And they must be close enough because she's at the, at the window of her palace and she shouts down to them and starts getting sassy with Jehu. And Jehu yells back, but he doesn't yell at her. He yells to her attendants, her servants. And you know what they do? They walk over and they pick her up and throw her out the window. And she dies. One day, in one day, this monarchy who had done such damage to the people of Israel was now overthrown and a righteous administration was established, praise God. Let's rewind for a moment, though. Let's go back to this private place, this secret place, when the prophet had arrived in Ramoth Gilead to anoint Jehu. Jehu had no idea. He had no idea that God was about to shift an entire nation on that day. And after decades of darkness, after decades of oppression and hopelessness and discouragement and suffering under the hand of Jezebel, under the hand of that family bloodline, the story of Israel was going to be redeemed. But Jehu didn't know. The first step in this shift that had to take was that Jehu needed a word from God. And then he needed to take a step of faith. But you gotta, you got to have that word from God first. And so in order for Jehu to get that word from God, he had to go and separate himself and get alone away from everybody else and get into the private place, into the secret place. And it was only there would he receive the word and be anointed. And this secret place encounter would change the nation's destiny. Listen, God wants to speak to you there's things that God is calling you out for God wants to speak to you about who he has created you to be what he's called you to do but what's required on our part is that we go and we seek him in the secret place in the place of prayer we got to get alone from everyone else and be alone with God it's in the place in the secret place where intimacy is cultivated And it's also the place where the Lord begins to reveal to you the issues that he wants you to tackle to make a shift and a change in our generation. For David, the secret place was the field. For John the Baptist, it was was the, the wilderness, the desert. For Jesus, the secret place was just wherever he could find privacy. You know, during his ministry tour throughout Israel, he was just looking constantly for times to get away from everyone, the hustle and bustle and the noise, and just spend time in intimacy with the Father. And he had to fight for that. And oftentimes, he was interrupted, but he kept making that a priority. The time and season that we're living in right now is begging for us to spend time alone with God. Now, the culture around us is doing everything it can to keep us from doing it. But when I say the time and the season in which we're living in, I'm talking about God's time for what he has planned on the earth, the season that God is calling to us here in our community, in our nation, and around the earth. And it is begging for us 
to take time to get alone with God, to spend time in intimacy with him. Every single day we are hearing how more upside down the world is becoming. But I'm telling you what, godly men and women in the past, they faced dark times too. Jehu lived in one of the most darkest hours in all of history of the nation of Israel, but it was in the secret place where he was called. It was in the place of intimacy first where he was called and then anointed and empowered to make a shift and a change that would affect an entire nation. And if God can do that kind of thing then, he can do that thing today as well. I believe that we can see a shift, that we can see a change in our nation if men and women of God would go and seek the face of God in intimacy in a secret place. The place of prayer. Begin cultivating intimacy with God. Begin hearing his word over us, hearing his love for us. Begin hearing his empowerment and his calling and his directions for us and for our nation. We have 17 days until the election. I'm not standing up here telling you here in this room or you watching online who to vote for. You spend time with God in intimacy in the secret place, you'll know who to vote for. But that's not my, my challenge to you is not to just go out and vote. Yes, go out and vote. Be a, be a responsible citizen. Use the power that we do have because there's all kinds of things and all kinds of changes that, are, that, that God wants to make around the world, but he's not called me to make all those changes. There's certain specific things that he's called me to that he's given me responsibility and power to do. And I have the power to vote, so why in the world would I not, right? But my challenge to you is not just to vote. My challenge to you is to, in the next 17 days, intentionally spend time in intimacy with God. For the next 17 days, spend more time in the private place, in the secret place with God than you do listening to the outside voices of the upside down culture that we have in the world today. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's my challenge to you. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. God, I just thank you that you are ready to meet us. You're waiting to meet us in the secret places. God, you're not hiding off somewhere playing game with us. We know right where you are. And our desire, God, I believe, as the people of God, Seeds Church, our desire is really to have that intimacy with you. God, we confess to you that sometimes we've placed our calling in front of intimacy. Or we've placed our just our own desire in front of intimacy or we've placed fear in front of intimacy there's all kinds of things god that we've put in front of the priority of intimacy and so we confess that to you god and we we say we want to repent of that and turn to you in intimacy and we thank you that you are so kind that you're right there waiting for us
And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to give us strength and strategy to say no to the things that we need to say no to so that we can say yes to the things we've got to say yes to. Coming to meet the Father in the secret place, in the place of prayer, in the place of intimacy. God, we pray that as, as we meet with you, that you would grow on the inside of us our desire, our passion, our zeal for you. Not just what you can can give to us, God, but just for you. We're not just seeking your hand, God. We're seeking your face. Develop within us. Cultivate within us a heart for intimacy between us and the Father. Holy Spirit, help us turn our eyes away from the things of this world, God. Yes, that, that we're, we want to be informed, and yes, we want to be responsible, and God, we're not trying to to you know, skirt around that, but God, we're saying that that is less important than just being intimate with you. And God, I pray that as, a, as we cultivate our intimacy with you, you are going to do something. You are going to, to draw our hearts to, toward yours, but you're also going to stir up calling and, and anointing and commissioning on the inside of us. We pray that out of the intimacy, God, that you empower us. Because, God, we do. We want to we make a difference. We want to see a shift on this planet, God. We want to see a change in our homes and in our community and in our nation and around the world. We want to see that, God. We desire that, Lord. We know that you desire it. And, God, we want our desires to be in alignment with yours, so we pray that as we seek you in the place of intimacy, in the place of prayer, in the secret place, God, you begin downloading those things to us. You begin empowering those things. You begin giving us strategy. You begin giving us supernatural wisdom and insight. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come to earth as it is in heaven. But before we pray that, we say, Our Father, hallowed be your name. If you're here today and you're just kind of just struggling with maybe just the, the wrestling with the guilt or feeling condemnation of any kind because you, you felt like you, should, you ought to be seeking God in an intimate place. I just want to just release you from the condemnation and just say, just go and meet God. He's not waiting there in the secret place to give you a spanking. He's waiting there in the secret place to throw his arms around you. God, we invite you. We invite everything that is that you want to give to us. Even your correction is full of love, God. We love you, Lord. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. 
Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.